if I'd had a chance to visit with you in 1980, I would have been studying theology and, and biblical languages and preaching at Lipscomb University. At that time, it was called David Lipscomb. Um, but at Lipscomb University, and it was an interesting time because a lot of my friends and a lot of the Christian community that I was involved in in Nashville was really probing the idea of the Holy Spirit, especially in terms of how it affected worship. You know, um, whether it was speaking in tongues, um, having words of knowledge, words of prophecy, uh, 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 more expressive worship physically. Uh, these were all... Um, issues that were at the forefront and issues that I was confronting as I was studying and trying to understand stuff. I took a course. Uh, one of the courses I took uh, was called the Holy Spirit. And, and it was an effort to try and understand and learn these materials. Uh, the, the course wasn't uh, uh, as dead on as I would have liked. But it was interesting, if nothing else, because it was a discussion point. And I know a lot of you who come from, from different backgrounds may have confronted some of these issues and discussed them before. As, as I was dealing with it, there were a number of students with me, and we were, by and large, an opinionated lot. And, and um, we not only were opinionated, we tended to believe that our opinion was right and everyone else was wrong. And there was diversity of opinion within our group. And so we would argue and fight all the time. It was a really um, wonderful day. And I, I went back and I thought, okay, what were the basic arguments about what or who the Holy Spirit was? And it, it evolved down into to three main groups. These were the three main groups of friends that I had at that time as I was first studying this issue. The first were those who, who truly thought of the Holy Spirit uh, as being uh, uh, still present uh, uh, in indwelling in the believers, energizing the believers in a way that, that uh, uh, allowed for and, and maybe even prompted the miraculous, the, the speaking in tongues, the healing, the word of knowledge. Uh, we had we went to a church one time where a fellow stood up and claimed to have a prophetic gift and he could stand up and just point to someone in the audience and tell you something about your life. And, and this type of thing, we went to another service where a fellow had a gift supposedly to you'd come up and he'd put his hand on you and you would fall down. Um, I guess that's the gift of falling. And <clears throat> these people... Um, um, were one, one perspective. A second perspective was that really the Holy Spirit is simply a label that the Bible gave for when God the Father was working in earth. It's like the extension cord or the power cord for God the Father. So that if God the Father does something on earth in the Bible, they would often call it the Holy Spirit. And that's all it is, and it's nothing more, and it's not this specific entity or deity. It's not part of the Godhead except to that extent. Then there was a third group that said, no, really what the Holy Spirit is, is it's just the Bible. The Holy Spirit is God's Bible, and if we want to see the Holy Spirit today, the only place we're going to find it is right here. That once the Holy Spirit finished putting together the Bible... He sort of like declared his Sabbath rest and he went on vacation and he's gone back to heaven. So this is the Holy Spirit and nowhere else. 
And this is what we were looking at, or what we were arguing about and different people arguing different things. And, and the question, did the Holy Spirit still work today in miraculous ways, depending now on how you define miracle? I would define a miracle as anything supernatural. So uh, to me, if God can change my mind, that's just as much a miracle as if he can change my body. Okay? So miracle for me is it, it's this, this idea of... Okay, but let's define miracle for a minute. And, 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 and I'll, I'll borrow this from C.S. Lewis. He had a book entitled Miracles. C.S. Lewis says, this is the universe and everything in it. This is nature, the natural. This is the universe. This is you, this is me. Not only things that are physical, things that we see and feel, but also things we think. It's everything. It's the entire essence of all being in, in our space and time. Make sense? Now, we've talked about this earlier in Paul's theology, how God is imminent. God is within the universe. But we've also talked about how God transcends the universe and God is outside of it. Before God created the universe, God was. This, outside of the natural universe or above it, we would call what? The super nature or the supernatural. See? So, so, the supernatural is, is that which is outside the natural, that which is outside the universe. So C.S. Lewis says a miracle is when the supernatural acts within the natural. When God intervenes, and he might do it merely by manipulating the natural, taking circumstances and times and people and maneuvering. So he could take uh, uh, Moses' heart I mean, Moses and, 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 and Pharaoh's heart and finally get Pharaoh to change his mind and lead the people through uh, uh, the Red Sea as he parts the waters. Okay? Now, he might just maneuver things around or he might just do it as a direct intervention in nature like the virgin birth where Mary is not pregnant and then she is pregnant and it's not because God brought some man into her life it's because God the supernatural intervened in the natural if, if those are miracles the supernatural intervening into the natural then um, that's the sense in which I use the word so now let's go back to the lesson does the Holy Spirit still work does God still interact does the supernature still invade nature that was the question and some would say yes and some would say no and my friends that said no generally had a, two main arguments that they would use. Th their arguments came from the Bible. The first argument was 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul talks about prophecies, and he talks about words of knowledge, and he talks about speaking in tongues, and he talks about how they're imperfect gifts, and he says there will come a time when the perfect comes and the imperfect will pass away. If we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul starts out, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm a noisy gong, a clanging symbol. If I have prophetic powers, if I understand all mysteries, all knowledge, if I have as much faith as it takes to move a mountain, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give away, if I do all these different things, then look at verse 8. He says, 
love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. Words of knowledge will pass away. We know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. My friend said the perfect is the Bible. It's the perfect word of God. And so once the Bible came, we don't need words and tongues and things anymore because we have the Word of God right here. We can all see it and read it, and we don't need something so subjective, uh, something so, gee, maybe they are, maybe they aren't. We've got something very objective. Here's the Word of God. Here's the perfect. So those things are no longer needed, used. They have passed away. That was one argument. A second argument that was given, um, by the way, I don't agree that that's what that scripture says. I should add that. The perfect is what happens when Jesus comes again. And then we no longer know in part. We'll know fully as we've been fully known. We shall see him face to face. But that's for a later lesson. Next, these people would say, well, no, the miraculous gifts, they're gone because they only happened when the apostles laid hands on people. Is the only way the gifts were given. So if Sandy wants the gifts, the only way she's going to get them is for one of the original apostles to lay hands on her. And the original apostles are all do- gone. They're all dead. So the ability to have this gift is gone. And for this, the scripture used was Acts chapter 8. And in Acts chapter 8, you've got the story of, of Philip and uh, um, preaching in Samaria. Now, Philip was not... Philip was not an apostle. He was Philip the evangelist. And he goes and he preaches in Samaria. Those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And and Philip is doing signs. Look at the signs he did. Unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. Many who were paralyzed or lame was healed. So Philip goes down and Philip does this. And, and Simon, the magician, sees it and says, Wow, that is so cool. I want that. I would love to have that power. Philip leaves and he goes and preaches to the Ethiopian eunuch. We know that story, but before we get to that story, look what happens in Acts 8. Um, there was a man... Here, let's go back and meet Simon, the magician. There was a man named Simon, who had previously practiced magic in the city, amazed the people of Samaria, saying he himself was somebody great. And they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Christ, they were baptized, men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. He saw Philip do these signs and great miracles, and and he was amazed. Look at verse 14. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they went, they sent Peter and John. Now, Peter and John are original apostles, right? They sent Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them. But they'd only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, 
he tried to buy it, saying, hey, I'll give you bucks for that. Um, that, by the way, didn't work. I think that's when Peter said, may your silver perish with you. But um, the idea is, see, they were baptized believers and they didn't have this special measure of the Holy Spirit until the apostles came down and laid hands on them. Now, even though Philip had it, the apostles must have laid hands on Philip, the reasoning went, and it gave Philip the ability, but it never allowed Philip to pass that ability on. It took the original apostles. So once the apostles died, the ability died. Does that make sense? Okay. So, um, anybody who knows me um, uh, very well knows what my reaction is when all this stuff is going on. I have a standard approach to problems of life. It may be miserable, but it's just me. I study. Just, okay, let me get the books out. I want to read. I want to make up my mind. I want to make some decisions. And so I decided I was going to try and understand what Paul was talking about with these gifts and try and understand it. To do that, I proceeded to walk a path that we're now walking together. I'd already taken a class in Pauline theology. They did not cover this. So I was going to try and figure it out myself. And we're going to look at Paul's position on gifts. But to do it, we're going to, 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 to look through the bucket that went into Paul on the Holy Spirit. Last week we did it by studying the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, which was Paul's original textbook. This week we're going to look at the Holy Spirit in the Gospels, and we're going to look at the Holy Spirit in Acts. Now you might be saying, why are we looking at it in that order? Well, because Paul grew up studying the Old Testament. Paul, even though he was a contemporary of Christ, we don't have any indication he ever met Christ um, before the Damascus Road experience. But we do know that Paul knew the life and teachings of Christ. Paul spent time with the apostles. He spent time with the disciples. Heavens, the passage we were reading now in, in 1 Corinthians 13 where Paul said, you may even have enough faith to move mountains. Shows Paul was familiar with the teachings of Christ because it was Christ who said, if you've got enough faith, you can say to the mountain, get up and move and it'll move. Paul echoes the language of Christ many times in his letters. We know Paul was in, Paul's mission partner on multiple occasions was Luke, the historian who wrote Luke, who wrote Acts. So, of course, Paul was familiar with the life of Christ and the teachings of Christ and the gospel of Luke. Not only that, but the Acts that we're reading about, Paul's in them. Paul was in the primitive church. So the experiences of Acts, the, the lessons of the life of Christ are appropriate for us to study when we're trying to understand what Paul was thinking as Paul wrote to us about the Holy Spirit. You with me? That's why we're doing this exercise. So what I did and what I want to do this morning is I went to what's called Jesus' farewell discourse scholars call it that because it's his last discourse before his crucifixion his farewell discourse is found in the gospel of john chapters 13 through 16 and it's his chance to say okay this is it this is sort of my last opportunity to really tell you what i need you to hear and in this there are five different passages where jesus talks about the holy spirit coming and I got a notepad 
And I got a pen. And I started reading it, and I was just making little notes. Actually, I think the first time I started making them in the Bible. And then I thought, this is getting too big. i got to start writing them on the side. So I started writing them on a notepad. And I want to walk through with you as much as time will allow this morning. I want to walk through these passages. And we're going to do this quickly, but you've got a handout that, that goes into a lot more detail. Um, the first one is in John 14, verses 15 through 20. This is what Jesus says, those last important things he, he had on his heart and mind to tell his apostles. If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He calls the Holy Spirit the counselor. The spirit of truth. Now, the world cannot accept him because it doesn't know him, and it doesn't see him. But you know him not it you know him the holy spirit because he lives with you and he will be in you now i mentioned this briefly last week do you see the tense difference there you know the holy spirit because he lives with you but he will be in the future in you so i started making a checklist this is my holy spirit checklist first of all he's going to be in you you're going to have the superman cape he's going to be in you he's with you how was he with them he was in jesus they didn't realize that probably but jesus is saying you know the spirit he's with you jesus had the spirit but he's going to be in you. Now go back. So you know him. He lives with you in Jesus. He will be in you. And on that day when he comes in you, you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. On the day the Holy Spirit comes... Now, i got to tell you, the apostles, if you read this speech all the way through, they don't have a clue what Jesus is talking about. They really don't. Uh, where, where are you going? I want to go. You read it and you just think, man, these guys are clueless. Well, they were. They didn't understand how Jesus was in the Father. They didn't understand how the Father was in Jesus and certainly didn't understand how we're in Jesus and Jesus is in us. So, but on that day, He will be in you and it will come with understanding the relationship that we have with God and Christ. On the day the Holy Spirit comes. And that's what Jesus says. Now the next passage where Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit is John 14, 25 through 26. And he says this. All this I've spoken while still with you. But the counselor, this time he calls him a counselor. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. Now that's really good. He'll teach you all things. He'll explain it. It will make sense. Now the all things, that doesn't mean that the apostles, once they got the Holy Spirit, had quantum physics down and would never need to take a class. All things just means in the Greek, panta, pos. Panta is, is everything in a group. So like when it says for 
in Mark 1, 5, I think, about John the Baptist. All of Jerusalem and Judea went out to be baptized by him. It doesn't mean Pontius Pilate, the high priest. You know, it's not every, it's, it's the group. So when the counselor of the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to ex- teach you. You're, you're going to understand this stuff you don't understand right now. And he's going to remind you, which is good. Because if I'd been sitting there with Jesus, I'd act, especially with my obsessive compulsive nature, I don't know, where's my pen? Okay, I'm ready, Jesus, go. Give me this last speech. Okay, so, so, so slow down, slow down. Did you say... Celebrate or celebrate? Celebrate. Oh, you know, you, you, I, I want to get this right. You know, you, you, you sit there and, and okay, uh, you're going too fast. Just a sec. All right, go on. I'm ready. I've caught up. That's not going on. But the apostles are able to produce these gospels because the Holy Spirit will remind them of what Jesus had said. So we go back to our checklist. Let's add it on there. It's going to teach and remind. Next passage where Paul uh, or where Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit is John 15, 26 and 27. He says, when the helper comes, here he calls them helper, helper, counselor, um, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Holy Spirit's going to testify about Jesus. He'll, you, the apostles, the disciples, also will bear witness about me. Okay? So we add it to the checklist. He's going to bear witness to Christ with the disciples. Okay? You with me? All right, let's keep going. Last one. John 16, no, fourth one. We got one more to go. John 16, 7 through 11, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. If I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, the moment the helper comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they don't believe in me, righteousness because I go to the Father, And you'll see me no longer at judgment because the ruler of the world stands condemned. When the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to convict the world about sin and righteousness and judgment. So we add that to our list. He's going to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. All right, last passage. John 16, 12 through 15. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. And Jesus is, that's okay with Jesus. Even though he's got important things, he didn't have to deliver it all then because when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He'll not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he'll speak and he'll declare to you the things that are to come. He'll glorify me, he'll take what's mine, he'll declare it to you. All that the Father's has is mine. So he's going to take what's mine. He's going to declare it to you. That's what he's going to do. The Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to guide you in truth and he's going to glorify Christ. That's it. All right? Now that's Jesus' teaching on the Holy Spirit. It's in a nutshell. What I'd like to do next is say if, if that's the gospel part, 
of our shakedown on Paul. How, how does it mesh with what we read about in Acts? How does it mesh with the early church? Well, let's look. If, uh, um, in the interest of time, I'm not going to switch back and forth, but I'll have my Bible in front of me and I'm going to read to you. I want to go to Acts chapter 2. That's when the Holy Spirit comes down. Um, he will be in you. Will come with understanding. Oh, heavens, let's just take the time. Okay, Acts chapter 2. I don't want... I, this is too important not to do it right. Okay. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Oops. And rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You want to know what they were saying? I can tell you. Let's keep reading. I'll tell you. They were dwelling in, there were dwelling in Jerusalem devout men, Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the rushing wind, there a bunch of crowd gathered. Multitude came together. They were bewildered. Each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Okay, if I hear someone speak English, I'm not bewildered. That doesn't shock me. It's not the fact that each one was speaking in their language or they were hearing it in their language. What was affecting them was what was being said. Let's keep reading. They were amazed. They were astonished. Aren't these all Galileans? How is it we hear each of us in his own native language? The Parthians, the Medes, all of these different languages... All of them hearing in their own language. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. It's the mighty works of God. Now, what mighty works of God do you think they were doing? You think they were talking about uh, Jonah and the whale? Noah and the flood. The parting of the Red Sea. I don't think that would astonish Jews. The mighty works of God that were astonishing them, that were amazed and perplexing them, what does this mean? That was causing some folks to think, oh, they're drunk. The mighty works of God was God became flesh and dwelt among us. And the Jesus child, the Christ child, was God incarnate. And he grew. And you killed him. And God raised him from the dead after three days. And he walked among us. And he's ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Almighty God. We've seen him. We saw the dead man resurrected. We put our hands in his wounds. And that's making the people say, yeah, you've been drinking. Even though it's nine o'clock in the morning. Peter standing with the eleven. Whoops. 
But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give ear to my words. These people aren't drunk. It's only 9 a.m. This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And he quotes Joel. That in the last days, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even male servants and female servants in those days... I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and I'll show wonders in the heaven above. He goes on and on. Then he look, he says, men of Israel, there it is, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You killed him. You crucified and killed him. Hands of lawless men, but God has resurrected him. He's loosed the pangs of death. It was not possible for him to be held by death. This is the one about David that it says, I saw the Lord always before me. He keep, goes on to say, Brothers, I say to you, may I say to you, whoa, here we are. Brothers, may I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David. He died, he was buried, and his tomb's over there. But being a prophet and knowing that God swore him with an oath, one of his descendants would sit on the throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Now, what happens when the people hear it? When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, Oh my, what, what do we do now? We killed God. And he's resurrected, which means he didn't stay dead. And he's probably pretty angry. Peter said, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you, for your children. And do you know what happened? Those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day 3,000 souls. Now, that's just Acts chapter 2. We'll be in you. Yes, the Holy Spirit came down and it dwelled within them. With it comes understanding of the relationship of God and Christ. Peter could not have preached that sermon the day before Pentecost. He didn't understand it. Peter wouldn't have betrayed Christ or, or, or denied knowing Christ if he had understood these things. It was with the Holy Spirit that he came into understanding. And on that day, as Jesus prophesied, Peter understood his relationship with God and Christ and how Christ was in God. And the Holy Spirit was teaching and reminding him of what had happened. And he's able to recount those stories as the Holy Spirit bears witness to Christ with Peter. And we are his witnesses, he said, that the Holy Spirit's come down. And how did the people react? They were convicted of their sin and of righteousness and judgment. What should we do? Oh, go to, I love the guiding in truth. Go to Acts chapter 15 when the church is having the big debate over whether or not uh, 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 the Gentiles have to become Jews before they can become Christians. 
And the church debates it. The apostles and the elders, Paul, they're all there. They're having a big debate. And afterwards they make a decision. And they write a letter. But in that letter they said, it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit that dot, dot, dot. See, the Holy Spirit was guiding them, even though it didn't just write it on the wall. He'll guide in truth, and he will glorify Christ. Peter wasn't lifting up the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Hey, you want to know how we're speaking in tongues? It's the cool Holy Spirit. No, Peter and the Holy Spirit were glorifying Christ. So that's the checklist. That's what we have. And Paul on the Holy Spirit knew his Old Testament that we talked about last week. He knew the gospel stories. He knew the accounts of Acts. When he writes on it, how do you think Paul views the Holy Spirit? Is it consistent with what Christ taught? Or has Paul started something new? It's very consistent. Go to the checklist. Does Paul believe the Holy Spirit indwells the believer? He says it in Romans 8, 9, in Romans 8, 11, in 1 Corinthians 3, 16, that the Spirit dwells in you. 2 Corinthians 1, 22, God's given us His Spirit in our hearts. You bet Paul is consistent. The Holy Spirit dwells within the believer. How about we'll come understanding of our relationship with Christ and God the Father? Two of the passages I pulled out from Romans 8, 15 and Galatians 4, 6. Paul writes, by the Spirit, and this is a quote, by the Spirit we cry, Abba, Father. We understand who God is as our Father by the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that gives us understanding of our relationship with God and Christ. How about teaching and reminding? You bet. That's what's making us holy. That's the nudge. That's the... Paul says uh, in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. Name of the Lord Jesus means because of who Jesus is and what he did by the Spirit of our God. The Spirit of our God has taught and reminded you of what Jesus did for you. That is how you were washed. That is how you were sanctified. That is how you have been taught. Does he bear witness to Christ along with the disciples? Paul says in Romans 8, 16, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. Starting with us and going out, the Spirit bears witness to Christ with the disciples. Does He convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment? 1 Thessalonians 1, 15, the gospel of Christ's death and resurrection came to the Thessalonians in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. Absolutely. Does he guide in truth? Paul says, no one could affirm in their life and no one could say with their mouth that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that guides us in the ultimate truth that there is. Jesus Christ is Lord. And you can't get there without the Holy Spirit. Does he glorify Christ? Of course. We've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. 
What's God given us? The passage that we looked at from John where Jesus said he'll glorify me, he said he'll glorify me by taking what is mine that the Father's given me and making it known to you. And that's what Paul says the Spirit does. The Spirit helps us understand the things freely given us that God has taken and given us in Christ Jesus. He brings glory to Christ. Now, having said all of that, next week, how does Paul explain and give particular further teaching? How does he take the destroyed Legos um, and build even more elaborate structures and help us understand more fully what the Holy Spirit does and how we can use the Holy Spirit in our lives to grow? And that's what we want to look at next week. Here are your points for home. First, have the Spirit. If you don't, pray about it. If you don't, yeah, I'll tell you how you'll know you don't have the Holy Spirit. If you don't know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and haven't trusted Him with your heart, then the Holy Spirit's not indwelling in you. If you don't, you don't have the Spirit of Christ if you don't belong to Christ. But if you belong to Christ, you do. So have the Spirit. Belong to Christ. Make Him your Lord. If there are 98% of the people in here can tell you how. And that doesn't mean that you're in the bad 2%. Because the 98% have all been in the 2%. Okay? That's just, that's the walk of life. This may be your day. I'd love to tell you about it. So would a bunch of other people. Um, Be who you are if you've got the Spirit. Because the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. You're a child of the King. I was with a man on Friday who said, ever since I've become a Christian... Um, life's just gotten so much harder. I just feel so beat down. And I said to him, I said, well, you realize you're a son of God. He says, yeah, I've been working really hard to be a Christian. I'm trying to see what I get out of it. And a buddy of mine said, isn't that kind of like belly aching that you're working up a sweat opening your Christmas presents? I mean, you've already gotten it. Don't, don't belly ache. Oh, it's just so much effort. wonder if it's going to be worth it. Well, I mean... You're bellyaching about, oh, I've got to open another present. You're a child of the king. You are. And next week, we're really going to talk about the victory we can have through the Holy Spirit. So we live by the Spirit. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. It is where we're going to live. It's, it's the power of God at work in our lives, the resurrection power. It's the miracle-working power. Would you pray with me? Lord, it is my humble prayer that you will, through your Spirit, in the name of your Son, make known to us what is ours. Not out of our merit, but freely given by you, our Father. Lord, I get so tired of seeing my friends and my family and myself whipped about by Satan like we're some street urchin with nothing to rely on. And I pray that we will never get so bogged down in trying to figure out how your Holy Spirit works 
that we forget that your Holy Spirit works. We'll leave the how up to you, Lord. You do it however you choose. Just work in our lives and in our hearts and, 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 and continue to transform us into the image of your Son. Call us out of darkness into light. Call those who have not heard and accepted Jesus as Lord. Call them right now. And those that are my brothers and sisters in Christ already, call them out of any darkness in their lives and into the light of your glorious grace. Empower them, enthuse them, uh, put your spirit where they can't avoid it, much less quench it. So that we walk in victory and faith. Through Jesus we pray, amen.